Job ready? Employer says yes. This programme is presented by Eduvate, education and innovation. It's Jonathan Brill and I'm talking to Henry Horwood and I'm in the city of London. Good afternoon Henry, how are you? Good afternoon Jonathan, I'm very well. Thank you. Henry, you are what is called something in this city. What exactly is it that you do? Uh, so I work at a company called Bohurst and we're actually a, a tech platform providing data on the UK's high growth startups and scale-ups. So what does that mean? Let's decode some of that what is a startup? What is a scale-up? How does all of that work? Um, so a startup is hopefully a company that becomes a scale-up. Uh, a startup is any, any small business that's only, only recently begun. Typically, it will then go on to raise external financing in order to, to fund its growth. And hopefully, it then becomes a scale-up, which is just a company that's increasing its turnover, profits, headcount, year on year. So is this a big level of thing for Britain? I mean, are the, is this a big activity or is it just a few people at the edges? No, scale-ups are sort of the lifeblood of the UK economy. Uh, they are SMEs and they are the fast-growing SMEs that represent most of the turnover of the, of the country's companies that aren't, aren't the listed ones that you hear about every day. So what is an SME? It's a small or medium enterprise. How small is small? Uh, it's up to yeah, anything above 10 employees and right. you, start, you start to be an SME. Basically, SME is every company that isn't, isn't a public one. So the big public companies, the, the people you hear about in the FTSE 100, they're a different category of beast. Every other company pretty much and every other important employer pretty much is an SME. So is Britain good at this? Is this the sort of thing that we can turn around and say, hey, we're good at these startups, we're good at these scale-ups, or is it something that we're trailing behind them? Uh, it's something we do pretty well at, but we can always do better. I okay. think the, the, the official rankings, uh, as it were, um, put London as the third base, best place in Europe to start a company. Okay. But we lag behind at sort of 10th as the best place to scale a company. So there's a bit more to be done on that journey. So when a company is growing beyond 50 employees towards 100, 250, there's still some work to be done. Businesses are finding they need more support. Businesses are finding they're struggling to, to hire the talent they need as well. So here you are doing analysis of all of this, doing reports on all of this. Do you sit as the, the god looking down and, at, at all you probably, I mean, or are you involved? How does that work? So that, that's what we're trying to do as a business, is sort of give the, the God's eye view, as it were, of, of, this, of this landscape. We then are providing that data to all sorts of different people. So an investor might want to find a startup to invest in so that they can benefit from, from the growth that startup will then experience. Um, a university might want to license some technology they've just built into one of these uh, fast-growing companies. An accountancy firm might just want these high growth companies as their clients. There are all sorts of people who are interested in identifying the fastest growing companies in the, um, in the country because if you can do that, then you get to benefit from, from their growth as well. So you just identify these companies, identify the trends, spot the ones, the dark horses, spot the ones that are on front, is that what you do? Yes, yeah, so we're trying to find this, these businesses as soon as possible. 
So if you started a business, Jonathan, and you raised uh, £20,000 from your friends and family just to get it off the ground, we'd be finding you at that point. We identify you through, through various different means as, as having started a business and having received investment in order to grow. And we start tracking your journey from then. Um, we'll try and find out what it is that you're doing. So if you'll have started a business, hopefully you've got a business plan. We'll try and find out in any way we can what you're doing. And then we'll classify you and say, okay, actually, it's a fintech company or it's a data company or it's an artificial intelligence company. And then through our platform, investors who are interested in artificial intelligence find out about, about your company that you've just started. You're a service provider in an area which is desperate for this information. Let's talk about Henry for a minute. How did you think about all this? I mean, what's your background? So I studied classics at university. Typically. Um, which, yeah, exactly. It's, it's an excellent degree. It prepares you in some ways for everything and in other ways prepares you for nothing. Right. It does not convert directly into, into many careers other than, other than academia. But that also meant I had a, a sort of blank canvas in front of me when I, when I finished my degree to look at what I wanted to do. And the way I thought about it was, I thought, well, I want to be in London. Um, I want to be sort of finance adjacent, at least. Uh, that's put bluntly, that's, that's where the money is. Sure. And that's part of the reason to come to London as well. Beyond that, um, I was a bit less clear. I thought I wanted to be part of a smaller company so that you could make more of a difference on a, on a day-to-day um, basis. And then I was looking around, found um, Bohurst, which was a much smaller company then. So I didn't start Bohurst, I joined um, around employee eight or number nine. Right. Um, which was you know, sort of small enough that it was very exciting. It was on a fast growth uh, trajectory, um, but was big enough that you, know, you had a guaranteed salary and things like that, which are worth thinking about when you're looking at working for a startup. Um, and in London. And, and in London, <laughs> yes, exactly. And then Bohurst was sort of the perfect thing because we, we look at all sorts of other companies. So I felt like I was getting the best of both worlds. It was not only itself the kind of company I wanted to work for, but it was going to give me access to a lot of information about other companies that I would find interesting. But setting modesty aside, why did what you have to offer, why did your skill set appeal to Bohurst as it was at that time? I think because we're a, a, a data platform, my, my background was clearly different to what, what you might be looking for there. We, we have developers who have very specific skill sets and you can say we need you to be able to code in this language and the, sort of the matching between skills required and skills a person has is, is very um, easy. I guess maybe I was bringing something uh, slightly different um, in terms of, uh, sort of my analytical skills from, from my degree, so a lot of classics is taking in a huge amount of information. Typically it's ancient texts in that context, in this case it's high-growth high growth companies, and synthesizing that into an analysis. So the bit of the business I run is actually where we're, where we're providing that aggregate overview and the, the sectoral trends. So there are, I don't want to force the point too much, but there are some parallels between my degree and what I do now. One of the things that we talk about a lot in Eduvate is transferable skills. So did you find that the classics background was indirectly transferable? Yes, directly transferable? Um, probably not di directly transferable, transferable, other than the sort of writing skills that, that you necessarily develop um, in any art subject where, where you write essays, you develop writing skills um, that thing can then be very useful 
particularly on the data analysis side. So there's one set of skills which is analysing the data, and then there's the other set of skills which is communicating what that analysis means. Interpreting and then communicating. Exactly. So there's a, there's a, there's a whole, you've, yeah. you've got your data and you want to get through to something that um, someone will want to read, and when they do read it, they, they understand and, and take away something useful from it. So what is it like on a day-to-day -day basis? What sort of people do you work for? Are you a nine-to-fiver? How does all that translate? Um, we, we, we work for our, our, our clients who, who are you know, across all sorts, of, all sorts of sectors. The area of the business that I run is very project-based. Uh, so sometimes it's more relaxed in nine-to-five. Sometimes it's not. There are, there are deadlines that, um, that do need meeting uh, from time to time. Um, in terms of what we're actually working on, typically a client comes with a question and we say, well, we have this, this database, this will help you answer this question. And we give them two options. You can either do it yourself, just sign up and access our, our platform, right. or uh, the bit that I do is say, actually, if you're not sure of the data or you've got a very specific question and you just want, you want the answer, not to have to answer it yourself, but you just want the answer, we can, we can provide that. And so that's partly uh, sales or sales support, I, I understand it in, in these terms. What in terms of your skills are you bringing to the party? Are you providing the analytical frameworks? Are you doing the writing? How does that work? Yeah, so it's the way uh, my team works is, is nose to tail on, on these projects. So you start by talking to the client, trying to scope out uh, what the problem is for them. So the, the skill set there is around communication and trying to help them understand how our enormous data set can start to answer what are their practical business questions that they have. Um, through to then you scope out the project, you're writing a proposal, you're thinking about the commercials of what it's going to cost to put that report together. Through to then finally um, <laughs> writing the analysis and, and delivering it. And sometimes we even deliver it full to through to a fully designed report, so there's even a design element as well to, to what we do. Presumably, therefore, the design team isn't composed entirely of classicists. What sort of skill set is within the team that you work? Um, it's, it's pretty broad. Uh, so we have um, a human scientist as well, so that's uh, sort of a, a kind of anthropology, which again is more scientific than what I studied, but brings in a very similar sort of combination of skills about you know, being able to analyze data and extrapolate from that data and then communicate it um, as well. So that's that's sort of the, the commonalities. And then we have um, people who help us with design. They're not actually formally uh, trained in design. Our, our top designer was a lawyer or trained as a lawyer um, and then decided to move into, into design. And that's um, uh, a skill set that's been learnt on the job, actually, as it happens. Sounds like a bunch of mavericks I would very much like to meet. It sounds great. So if you're advertising for a job, it doesn't say maverick required. Are you staying within traditionally understood sexual roles, or do you just say, hey, Bullhurst is a great place, thinking of joining us? We don't ask for mavericks, but we do ask for quirky. We like, we like quirky people that we want you to... We want you to have that quirk and probably to an extent to know that you're quirky and want to be around um, other people with interests and, and passions, which can be related to your work or separate um, from it. That's, that's sort of our, our culture within, um, within Bohurst. So if you're looking towards a development cycle for Bohurst 
and yourself, is that growth going to come from market growth, this, this kind of understanding of, of your service as being a useful thing, or is there something within the UK that's going to boost that side of things? Hopefully both. Right. Um, so we are you know, out to get better known as we publish more reports, um, as we do spend more on marketing effectively, we get better known and we bring on more clients and we want to you know, permeate and, and get a, a larger client base. But also we're at a time where the, the UK economy is recognising the importance of its startups and scale-ups. And again, the, the importance of startups has been recognised for slightly longer. Now, lots of those startups are becoming scale-ups and people are recognising, okay, so we need to support these companies through, through to the next steps. But um, these are the companies that, in any country, drive economic growth. You can't look to your top 100 companies to employ everyone in the country. It is these small businesses um, that, that make, a, make a country work. So whether, it, whether you're going to go join a smaller company and help it go from 40 to 80 employees or whether you're starting your own thing, these are the things that drive um, economic growth and we're at a, a really great point in the, in the sort of cycle for, for the UK with more and more companies starting to, starting to scale up. And without getting into the politics of Brexit, it will have an impact? Uh, that's certainly the hardest question you've asked so far. As a data company, whenever we produce any trends, that's immediately the, the first question we're asked. If we see something going down on a graph, people say, is, is that um, Brexit that's uh, causing it? To some extent, we, we saw some changes in, in financing patterns for, um, for SMEs, probably caused by Brexit. The money didn't go away, it became more cautious is probably the best way of, of putting it. So we saw fewer very early stage companies being funded, but the ones that did get funding actually ended up getting more money than they would have previously. So if you were an investor, you were thinking rather than making two really risky bets, I'm going to make one risky bet, but put more money in to try and give it a better chance of uh, success. That's that's sort of what we saw in, um, in the data. Uh, there have been some signs of a slowdown in, in terms of startups, new startups, um, and there are negative and positive interpretations on this. We're, we're, we're a data company, so we sort of take a step back and say, look, we can see the correlation. It might be slightly beyond our pay grade to start um, defining what the causation is. But the fact that there are fewer startup companies starting you could see this is a bad thing, people are nervous about Brexit, they don't feel it's the right time to start a business. Or you can look at the fact that we're still seeing all of these scale-ups raising more money than ever before. With that money, they typically do two things. One is spend money on advertising, and the other is hire people. So you've got all of these really interesting, exciting companies looking to hire the best talent they possibly can. So the jobs market is more vibrant than it's ever been before. And that may be a reason why you don't start a company. If you can see three really interesting companies you'd rather go work for, why would you start your own now, unless you've got a really compelling idea? And that compulsion is not only compelling to you, but seem to be a good case in the market itself. That is, a lot of young people have great ideas, but the market sees them differently. Mm -hmm. um, and people will want your great ideas. If you're sort of running around thinking, oh, I could go work for this company, or I could start my own thing, 
there are also companies that will help you do that own thing from within their company, either from within an accelerator, or even you might just find yourself being almost like acquihired. Someone wants to bring your idea into into their early stage startup. So there are there are a lot more flexible options out there. It's not do a startup or work for a FTSE 100 company. There's sort of the full flavor along that spectrum is um, is is available, and I think that might be having a knock-on effect on on the number of sort of true startups that are starting. In terms of talent acquisition then, we're looking at very clever people for very exciting jobs. Is this an area that's affected by artificial intelligence, perhaps robotics? Possibly in the future, I would say, that, that might be the case. At the moment, um, sort of AI, machine learning at least, I don't know enough about robotics to be able to speak to it, but on those two fronts, none of those te technologies are nearly developed enough to, to replace a person. They're developed enough that they are starting to augment what people can do, but you still need the clever people to direct them or maintain them uh, or anything like that. You can't just sort of let it go on its own. They're still The inputs are still very human. So you're a young man, but he's comparing me, but not too young to give out some advice, so let's have a look. Young people coming out of high school, secondary school in the UK, should they be looking to go to university if they want to work in this kind of area that you're talking about? Or could you say, yeah, don't need to bother with that, let's get started immediately? I think both, both routes are possible. I think there are some soft skills that are learned at university as well as the, the more direct skills that are, when you get to your employer, very, very valuable. Um, you, do, you do see the difference between someone who has been to university or through another higher education program or through an apprenticeship, just done something a bit more in terms of gaining experience than straight out of school. So that is always going to be tempting to, to any employer. If you, if you have two people in front of you with the same amount of passion, one's just a few, few years further down the line, you're going to be drawn drawn towards that person. So there is there is definitely a value um, to that. I'm probably evidence of the fact that you don't need to think though, oh, I'd vaguely like a career in fintech, so I should probably go to university and get a finance degree. That's probably the wrong way of thinking about it, I would say. Um, it is more about the skills and the ways of thinking that you learn from doing a higher education um, course that are that are valuable rather than necessarily what you might learn about financial regulation in the second module of your first year. And the more challenging the course, the better, regardless of the content. That's that's what I would say. I know there are probably people who would disagree with me, but I Universities would disagree. <laughs> I'm when when I'm hiring I am more looking at you know, the person holistically. Any any knowledge gap they have, you know, should it should be possible to fill. So I'm looking to see if I gave them the, the wherewithal to fill that knowledge gap, will they be able to do it? And will they think interestingly about what we're telling them and what we're trying to get them to do? So, coming to a conclusion of this fascinating interview, a young person, a young adult is coming to you for an interview. What's the worst thing they could do? I think it's being disingenuous. More specifically by that, I mean trying too hard to tell me what they think I want to hear. That always comes across um, you know, 
it doesn't have to be the worst thing in the world, but I would much prefer honesty. Now, obviously, there's there's a sort of dance when you're in an interview. You can't be completely honest. You know, the complete honest answer is I'd much rather win the lottery and not have to work. In some cases, don't say that, even if that's your complete honest answer. But don't try too hard to say what you think I want to hear. Just say say what you think in, in, in an honest answer to the question. And what's the winning person's characteristics? Accepting that honesty is 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 integral. Um, know about the job know about the company and, and be interested in it. Yeah, if you come with questions that are about the company specifically, actually have sat down and, and thought about it and want to know more about what we do and how we do it and why we do it, not the generic questions that you might think, oh, it's good to ask a question, so I'll ask this one. Give a considered question because it's, it's a two-way two conversation. It's not just going to be me asking you questions. If you ask interesting questions, that tells me a lot about you as well. We've been talking to Henry Horwood today about Bohurst and the financial sector and entrepreneurism. Henry, thanks so much. Thank you very much. You'll find us online at edgevate.biz. Job ready. Employer says yes.